What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Mama Said Knock You Out. Don't call it a comeback. He's been here for months. Ted Ballantyne is back to help us dig into the knockout stage, round of 16 of Euro 2020. But first, Lightning and Islanders go to overtime in Game 6, where the Coliseum almost burns to the ground. I'll break down my plan for betting a Game 7 we saw coming. Then it's Habs hosting Vegas tonight. Why you could hedge all our series plays, but why I won't. The Bucks go bucking again, this time at the hands of Trey Young, and the Suns look to get Chris Paul back. What's the plan for NBA betting this weekend? It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. It's the mega long weekend edition of the window. And you're saying to yourself, long weekend? It's not It's not a long weekend. What are you talking about? Yeah, it is. It's a long weekend. It's a long weekend for me. Uh, I said earlier in the week we're not going to do a podcast on Friday if Tampa Bay and the Islanders ends on Wednesday. Guess what? I lied. I lied right to your face. Uh, I, I, I didn't lie. Um, we're just... We're not going to do a pod tomorrow. I got a couple of things on the go. Fundamentally, we can talk and get done everything that we need to do for this weekend today and on Twitter should anything pop up. Now, uh, should we need a emergency podcast, something brief tomorrow? Yeah, we can get into that. But you know what? If, let's say, for example, Montreal won tonight, we could do some celebrations on Twitter and we can get back to it on Monday. So... You know, let's start with the thing that I thought was going to force us into a podcast for tomorrow. But again, I think we can talk about that right now. And that's, of course, Tampa Bay and the Islanders. And of course, we can't get the break, right? We can't get the 2 nothing lead all the way home for Tampa to, clear, uh, to clean up the series. We can't get the overtime win to clean up the series. Uh, Mayfield pulls off this insane he's got like one inch uh, of ice or one inch of air if you will to catch the post and in to tie the game who knows if the Islanders would have tied the game after that if he hadn't scored that goal but he's kind of the last guy that you would expect to make that shot and he does but from a metric standpoint Islanders 1.53 to 1.43 expected goals for right like that relatively predictable low number that we've seen with games at Nassau Coliseum here over the last couple of rounds. Tampa Bay, though, 7-3 to three in the high danger chances. So that goes in keeping with the ratios that we talked about yesterday with regards to games 5, 6, 7, closeout type games and Tampa playing some of their best hockey. And 7-3 to three in the high danger chances. I mean, that's pretty easy mathematics right there, folks. That's 70% of the high danger chances in that game. And they convert two of them. So it's not like there was some outlier 0 for 7 type performance. They actually had the outlier on their side of things converting two of those seven. But the Islanders convert one of their three. That one came in overtime. And so it's actually going to be two high danger chances at even strength through 60 minutes. So Tampa Bay did quite well from that standpoint. Problem is, neither goal in regulation was a high danger chance, right? You get the backhand goal from Eberle to uh, make it two to one and give the Islanders life. That was, you know, in retrospect, you know, something of a backbreaker. And then, of course, the Mayfield shot that, you know, Vasilevsky's in position at that point from that close. It's literally like, okay, if you're able to put this over my shoulder but under the bar in the one inch slot, then more power to you, right? And if Mayfield takes 
one step closer to Vasilevsky, he probably hits him in the shoulder. And if he's one step further away, it's likely off the crossbar. So it was sort of dialed in perfectly. And I don't know that Mayfield is necessarily the guy that you expect for that to happen. Uh, obviously, the big story of the game is Nikita Kucherov's rib cage. He gets cross-checked. Of course, Chris Lee somehow still getting starts as a referee in the playoffs, standing right there, doesn't do anything, doesn't call it. Now, that would that have saved Kucherov's ribs? No, of course not. That would have just put Tampa on the power play. But still really, really annoying. So as we go into game seven, and this is exactly essentially what I would tell you tomorrow if we had a podcast. So if you want to replay it tomorrow morning, feel free to do so because again, this mega podcast is certainly going to be long enough for uh, more than just one day. So we have a decision to make, right? We're sitting here with our Tampa minus 105 on the series price and we go, okay, that's really great. But what do we think is going to happen in game seven? I think it's pretty clear that we have no idea what's going to happen in Game 7, even though we have sort of semi-predicted basically every game in this series since Tampa lost Game 1. It has played out kind of exactly how we thought it would, right down to the point of it going to Game 7. And again, I talked about a couple days ago, you know, probably should have bet a bunch of derivatives about this series going seven games, but for whatever reason, kind of missed out on that one. That one's on me. That one's my bad, everybody. So you have a couple of different options. One, of course, you just let it ride with Tampa Bay, and you're sitting there with Tampa minus 105 for the game, and they've opened at minus 175, which is a little bit interesting just because we've been seeing minus 180, 185, and moving up to minus 200 anytime the Lightning have been at home in this series. So now it's minus 175, which would tell me there's probably an indication that Kucherov is not going to play in this game. So... Okay, what do we do? Well, okay, one, you can let it ride if you like. And the reasons to let that ride are, you know, Tampa loses that game, but the 7-3 to three or 7-2 to two in regulation I think really matters, right? That even strength um, play from Tampa Bay isn't any different. Again, Kucherov out of that game isn't really any different from their other closeout games, right? The handicap, if you will, of looking at Tampa just in their closeout style games still, you know, bears truth, right? It's still a dominant performance, even on the road, even in a loss, from a high danger chance standpoint, especially from a defensive standpoint. And this, you know, Kucherov-less lightning is how we have to frame this team, obviously, from a Game 7. Well, the good news is we had 56 games of this from Tampa Bay this year. And if you were with us for the season, you knew that this Tampa team was playing differently without Kucherov, right? They became a more defensive team. They came, became more reliant on Vasilevsky to not steal them games necessarily, but like give them all of the opportunity in the world to win two to one, three to two type of a game. And that just didn't necessarily happen yesterday because two of those goals were non-high danger chance goals. And again, not necessarily blaming Vasilevsky, right? You had the, the backhand shot from Eberle after what was Let's be honest, I think pretty clear interference, maybe not clear, but it was certainly interference and it was well hidden, I suppose is probably the better way to put that, to free him up for the goal. And then obviously the shot from Mayfield that was, you know, just absolutely perfect. So there's certainly reason to stick with Tampa Bay. Now, if you wanted to get out of it, 
The good news is you can absolutely do so. You can hop right out of it. You can put, you know, one unit on the Islanders here at plus 155 to free roll them for a half unit, right? So you put the one unit down. If you lose that bet, it means that Tampa Bay has won and you break even on the whole operation. Kind of a long way to go to break even, but again, we didn't have a strong feel or, or at least from a side standpoint, we didn't have a strong feel. We knew this thing was going seven somehow, even though we may not profit on that. But you can make that one unit play on NYI, the Islanders, plus 155 to free roll them for a half unit. Or you can put two units on the Islanders. And, you know, obviously if you win, you win. But if you lose, you lose the one unit, right? Because you lose two units, but you win back one unit on Tampa Bay. So you either lose the one unit or you win 3.1 units. But, of course, you've lost 0.5 units uh, or 1.05 units on the Tampa Bay bet. Make sense? So you end up netting 2.1, you know, just over two units. So from a mathematic standpoint, currently at minus 105, we're paying for a 51% win probability, right? That's what minus 105 essentially means. For something that the market right now at minus 175 thinks will happen, right? They think a Tampa Bay win will happen 63.6% of the time. Take out the juice from the sports book, and that obviously dips to around 61% of the time. When, if you decide to go the Islanders route and put two units on the Islanders here to come over the top of the Lightning, we're then paying 32.3% win probability for something the market thinks will happen 39.2% of the time. So there's actually a 7% edge there. There's about 10% edge if you stick with Tampa Bay. So you're giving up, you know, again, depending on how you look at it with regards to Sportsbook, but you're giving up 3, 4, 5% of win probability value by switching sides over to the Islanders, but you're doing so for twice the possible payout, right? You still have the same risk. It's still one unit either way, but you get twice the payout with the Islanders, right? which is obviously a little bit better than right now. If you had just not betted at all, you're walking in and you're going, okay, I'm betting the Islanders at plus 155. You're getting obviously 1.55 the payout. In this case, you're getting double the payout. But again, you're losing a little bit from a value standpoint. That's the decision from a math standpoint. Hockey-wise, right, it becomes... Well, listen, it's a tough call either way. So it's, I was going to say it becomes a tough call. Guess what? It's already a tough call. Tough call. And and maybe that means that we should bet the dog because it is a tough call. Well, from a hockey standpoint, right, we've got six games of data points here. Five on five, the Islanders have been the better team, right? 1.97 to 1.85 from an average expected goals for standpoint. That's not much, right? That's an easy roundup to two for both sides. From a high danger chance standpoint, 8.17 for the Islanders, 7.67 per game for the Lightning. Again, not a massive discrepancy by any means. And Tampa Bay has been the better team at converting. So the Islanders have converted six high danger chances for goals and Tampa nine. Nine out of their 46, that's 19.5%. That is an above average number. The Islanders are right around league average, actually a little bit lower than league average at 12.5%. But fundamentally, those six games, or five of those six games, were built off of Kucherov being in the lineup. And, you know, why has Tampa Bay scored at a, you know, 
high rate of high danger chances. It wasn't the you know, goaltending hasn't been necessarily that good for the Islanders. Certainly, you know, game five would go a long way to skew that, giving up three goals. Um, are you know are Tampa Bay getting the better of the chances, right? Because as much as we tally up high danger chances, and that really works for us, you know, over the course of the long term, we also don't know, right? Like the quality with which these high danger chances. Um, you know, what they actually are. And that's why we have expected goals for, right? Then you got the element of Tampa Bay. And this is obviously, it's certainly not narrative, but 11-0 and 0 has you know, less to do with the Islanders and more to do with Tampa Bay. And Vasilevsky's numbers in games after a loss are sick, right? There's just no getting around it. And so when we talk about the, the lightning here, and make a case for them on a game-to-game -game basis. Not that we've made a case for them in every game. Like we talked yesterday about how the Islanders were actually the value play at plus 130, even though, you know, again, Tampa Bay has this really great metric record in, um, you know, closeout type games. The difference, right, is in the power play for Tampa Bay and with Vasilevsky. And so Vasilevsky's certainly going to be there. I expect him to play a really good game. There was talk on the broadcast yesterday, the Canadian broadcast anyway, that maybe in the last, you know, the last two goals, uh, the Lightning found something, you know, on on Vasilevsky's glove hand side. I doubt that's the case. This guy's been outstanding for years. I don't know that the Islanders all of a sudden figured out you can shoot on his glove side. Again, I just think that was. I hate to say it, but kind of a lucky shot from Mayfield um, to get exactly where that was. I mean, he picked that corner absolutely clean. But fundamentally here, Kucherov being out, you know, listen, we don't take power play efficiency into that much consideration unless there's a massive outlier, as we've talked about earlier this week. And at 40 plus percent power play, that was a pretty massive outlier. And given the fact the Islanders were allowing that, or close to it, that was a massive outlier. That needed to be considered. But now Kucherov's out, and it's not this situation where, you know, pick a player on any team who they've had throughout the regular season and go, okay, well, how does the power play affect it if, you know, Brad Marchand's not playing? We'd all kind of just shrug our shoulders and go, like, it's probably not better. How much worse is it going to be? You know, who knows? With Kucherov, we actually know how much worse it's going to be. Right? We had 56 games of Kucherov-less power play for Tampa Bay, and it was, certainly wasn't 40-plus percent. It was, you know, 22.2 percent. It was, like, kind of barely in the top 10 in the NHL. Now, they had a couple of opportunities yesterday, and they were pretty grim. That being said, still have Hedman, still have Stamco, still have Point, etc., etc. But, you know what? A lot of people, a lot of teams, I should say, have those type of guys, right? The difference is... Nobody else has a Kucherov to go with the Hedman and Stamkoses and points of the world. So add in the fact that the Islanders are certainly capable of just not taking penalties, right? They certainly did a good enough job, certainly got helped by some refereeing looking the other way, especially on a couple of different cross checks there. Stamkos's face um, still felt one uh, up against the glass. So, you know, we can't, I don't think we can put that same value into the lightning power play for game seven. Maybe they get three opportunities. Are we sure that they get one goal? If they, you know, are they going to need a fourth opportunity? Because right now, two opportunities feels like a goal is probably going to come for the lightning and three is certainly, you know, almost definite. Now, if we think that they need a fourth power play opportunity, I don't know that we're going to get that. And so then if we're just left with five-on-five five play and outstanding goaltending from Vasilevsky, 
You know, Varlamov can do that too. And so that brings us to the Varlamov question. If you have been playing along the whole time here, right from the preview of the playoffs, you probably have a little portfolio of you know low investment, high odds, um, Con Smythe Trophy winners. And you probably have a Semyon Varlamov in the deep recesses of your accounts at 50 to 1, maybe 40 to 1, right? It was our replacement for, act for uh, an Islander's future, right? It acts as an Islander's future bet because we figured, okay, there's no way the Islanders can win the Stanley Cup without phenomenal goaltending. And just the way that their lineup is built from forwards, defense, whatever, you're not going to have a obvious clear-cut candidate for the Conn Smythe Trophy that isn't the goaltender. Now, it almost got to the point where that goaltender wasn't Semyon Varlamov, but here we are. So if you look at the Consumite Trophy market right now, he's sitting at plus 650, and this is according to Bet365. There isn't another guy on this list until 40 to 1 for the Islanders. And you know who that is? It's Brock Nelson. Right? It's it's not Barzell, it's not you know Mayfield, it's not Eberly, it's you know, pick you know, pick your guy, Bill, you know, Beauvillier, whomever, right? And that's the thing, like those votes are going to be slip, split by the time the Stanley Cup gets handed out. And that's obviously assuming a lot, right? That's assuming the Islanders win, that's assuming they you know they win this game and they win the Stanley Cup, which you know, pretty significant ex- uh, assumption. But if you're sitting there at 40 to 1, 50 to 1, right? Like we don't think of it as an Islanders future in, on our day to day, right? Like if you had a Montreal Canadian Stanley Cup future, if you had a Vegas Golden Knights future, you'd be, you know, your um, opinions, your your betting would be you know, uh, influenced by that, by the commitment to that future. But we don't feel the same way about a Conn Smythe trophy bet until we get that player into the finals. But this kind of feels like a tiebreaker, right? If you if you don't know which side to go with here, with Tampa or the Islanders, but you have, you know, again, an Islanders future in the name of Semyon Varlamov, you would certainly want that to advance. So again, we're talking about one unit here, right? We're talking about whether or not to risk that unit on Tampa Bay for an even money payout, or we're thinking about risking that unit on the Islanders for a two unit payout and keeping the Varlamov Consmith alive. So I think I'd rather do that. And so I'm gonna write for the Action Network tonight about this game for tomorrow. So again, that's another reason why we don't necessarily need to rehash this tomorrow. You'll be able to read all the way up into my night thoughts (laughs) tonight. And you don't need my tomorrow morning thoughts on this game. But I'm going to be writing about how, from an even strength standpoint, and this, you know, what I just said about the power play, about how this makes the Islanders a valuable bet. Do they win? Do they lose? Who knows here, right? Um, But, you know, you can get into sort of the karma of all of it and and Tampa Bay, you know, circumventing the salary cap. And are they going to get away with that? Or you can look into the idea that, you know what, Tempe's played a lot of hockey, right? And, And as much as... Um, Kucherov came back and he looked awesome and the power play lethal or whatever, right? Like, doesn't mean that you're not going to get hurt. And so if he ends up out, that's what we got to do, I think. I think we're going to move to the Islanders here for this game three. I don't regret making the bet, obviously, on Tampa Bay because, you know what? The thesis was correct. We got all the way there with value here on game seven. We got a free shot at a unit last night with the Lightning, by making that bet after game one, right? And so that could have easily gone a different way. Certainly looked like it at 2 nothing. It didn't. 
But that doesn't mean we have to be committed to the Lightning here for this final game. As for the team that we are committed to, right? And, you know, there was certainly never any certainty when it came to the Islanders and the Lightning as far as what bet we were supposed to make, whether it was before the series, during the series, or at any point in the series. That hasn't been the case for the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights, right? We now, you know, we, we don't quite know what to do tomorrow, though we're going to see what we can do. We all know what we're supposed to do when it comes to this series, right? You know? We're supposed to bet Montreal. We've been betting Montreal this whole way, right? But this is where it stops for now because we've already made the bet, right? If you've been playing along here, you already know you've either got Montreal series price or you've got Montreal minus one and a half. You've already cashed the plus one and a half. You've cashed the over five and a half games, all of that sort of thing. And so Montreal minus one and a half games on the series line at plus 750 is on the line tonight. And if you added to it, at 16 to 1 after game one, as I talked about, um, great job. More power to you. That was awesome. Um, if you added to the Montreal series price, right, plus 350, the worst case scenario, got up to 400, even higher than that, and then 750 after game one, that's on the line tonight, but it's also on the line for game seven. And so, fundamentally, with that being the case, there's no reason to bet on Montreal at plus 125, right? In the same way that there was, you know, there's almost, there's literally less reason to do it tonight than there was uh, to do it in game five. And so, you know, the bets have been made. They're already in the accounts. We're sitting there waiting to get paid out and hopefully Montreal can win this game tonight in order to do so. But people love hedging. And we talked about that earlier on in the week with regards to, you know, different story obviously with high level futures and, and and 100 to 1 type stuff here but you know i circle back to that right like the reasons to hedge reason number one is you've overextended yourself on um you know it's on a team on on a side here and your plan as part of that was to hedge the whole time or the win means life-changing money Right, you put a hundred bucks down on a ten thousand to one, and somehow it's coming through. You'd probably want to hedge on that. In this case, we're talking about you know one to two units here. Reason number two to hedge: there's value on the bet on the hedging side. So in this case, Vegas. Well, that's not the case, right? We know that's not the case, and it's getting closer. We're getting closer to appropriate price, which we talked about yesterday. But there's still no value. It's not a plus EV bet to bet on the Vegas Golden Knights. But reason to hedge number three is circumstantial. You've already won a bunch of money on this team, and you don't want to give any back. You are fine with walking away from the blackjack table up X amount of dollars, right? You don't want to keep playing. You don't want to, you know, you're playing one more hand and the dealer gives you two aces and you go, okay, I got to split these aces. And, you know, then they give you, you know, another ace and you're like, okay, I got to split again. And you get into that sort of television movie type scene where you've got four or five different hands and you need to, you know, there's, do we double down here? And it turns into a whole situation. We don't need to double down on plus 125 tonight. Nor will we necessarily need to double down in Game 7 if that happens on Saturday at, you know, plus 200. Don't need to do it. 
So if you've already won a bunch of money and you just go, you know what, I'd rather just free roll this, here's the hypothetical, right? So in theory, you have a unit, and let's use sort of the absolute minimums here, right? Let's say you have a unit on plus 350 on the Montreal series price. Let's say you have a half unit on plus 700, which is the minus one and a half. You are invested for one and a half units. You can let that ride and just roll with the, the one and a half unit bet. That certainly wouldn't be insane. That's just a usual day um, in a lot of cases for people out there. But if you get that one unit and that half unit and they both win tonight, that's seven units, right? So it's a seven unit win if Montreal wins tonight. If they lose tonight and then they win game seven, you're down to just three units, right? Because you have won three and a half, but you lost the half unit on the minus one and a half. If Vegas comes back and wins the series, you are down a unit and a half. That is the worst case scenario. Vegas right now is currently plus 150. So you could, in theory, put a unit on that to cover your initial bets, right? You put one unit on that, gives you back one and a half if the worst happens and Vegas comes back and wins this series and you break even, you walk away, but you're also walking away with all of the chips in front of you, right? That you haven't put on the blackjack table. So that does sound like a you know, pretty attractive idea. You know, you could free roll all of this stuff, right? You've got, you've, you've won on the games that we've bet on. You have won on the plus one and a half. You have won on the over five and a half. So you could just free roll the rest of the way here. And, you know, Montreal wins and you'll sit there and you go, oh, I could have bet more on Montreal. I could, you could always bet more, right? You could always think about betting more after the fact. You literally will every single time. But for me, I think I just let the one and a half units ride. It's house money anyway, right? It is a small part of our little stack here, our little Montreal Canadiens chip stack that we've got here. And we're throwing in, you know, uh, we've or we're keeping in the one and a half units that we've got just to see the flop, right? We'll have to see the flop. Maybe there'll be a turn card. You know, maybe there'll be a river card. I know I went from blackjack to poker there. Whatever. Um, if you haven't bet the series, I mean, first and foremost, like, where have you been? You know, welcome to the show. Um, took you, you know, took you five weeks, six weeks of you know Montreal winnings um, for you to for you to join in. Um, fundamentally, from a number standpoint, right? I talked about how Vegas is a minus one ten in my numbers. They are minus, you know, one fifty tonight. Uh, that's a four percent edge in favor of Montreal. Right, so if you're betting tonight, based on the numbers that we've got here, you know, no commitment, that's a four percent edge. We are sitting right now, obviously, on the numbers I just quoted, minus one and a half, plus seven fifty, sixteen to one. If you got really spicy after game one, all of that sort of stuff, the edge is almost infinite. Right, you would take that any minute of every day if you that was just offered to you. Unfortunately, it's not being offered to us. What we're only getting is plus 125, plus 130. So that's about a 4% edge, which is right in line with what we would bet during the regular season, right? If there's just a regular season game, 4% edge at one plus 130, yeah, we would absolutely make that bet. That being said, we've already got enough in the middle here. We've got enough hands of blackjack. I'm back to the blackjack reference. We've got enough hands um, going on the blackjack table. Um, and it's probably going to be the same on Saturday. And maybe more if the price stays where they have put these games in Vegas at, you know, Montreal plus 200. But shouldn't it be closer to what the Islanders and Tampa series is? Like at, at some point with both these potentially going to seven, hopefully not, knock on wood. 
with both of these potentially going to seven, shouldn't the prices now be the same? Like, shouldn't we have just we just acknowledged Tampa and Vegas, very good, Montreal and the Islanders, no slouches. And, you know, we, we've gotten somewhere, at least from a pricing standpoint, with Tampa Bay down to minus 175, which, again, right around fair price. Again, my fair price is still minus 180 for that series. But shouldn't Montreal and Vegas in Game 7 be that price? So, again, you're going to get value on Montreal tonight, 4%, and probably pretty close to that, maybe a little bit more. And it should be a little bit more at, you know, a plus 200 threshold um, for a single bet. That being said, we have done the work that we needed to do when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens, and we thank them for that, no matter what happens. Uh, as for the NBA last night, try to run through this as quickly as possible because I want to get to Ted in the Euro 2020 um, knockout stage preview that is extensive. Um, Buck's going to buck. Buck's going to buck last night. Um, the young, Trey Young, almost 50, looks a lot like the Kevin Durant, almost 50, right, where it takes 50 points from one guy to beat the Bucks. And, and moreover, for whatever reason, like their coaches can't figure out how to stop one guy. And, you know, have you ever seen a quote unquote good team, a favorite to win the NBA championship with, you know, obviously two rounds to go? Have you ever seen a team like that just be completely vulnerable to one guy completely dominating them? And it wasn't like Trey Young had some insane shooting game, right? It was just a volume situation. And he's throwing alley-oops and he's making shots and he's making laps and all of that sort of stuff. Like he was, you know, it, it was even more full value than the 50 points or almost 50 points with the assists um, and that general sort of... Um, I hate to use the word momentum because you know how we feel about the word momentum, but you know, where you're just dunking all over a team over and over and over again, right? And so you have this just dumb team in the Bucks that again is the better team here, but we always talk about, I shouldn't say we always, but we have in the last couple of weeks talked about the idea of, okay, we like the Bucks in situations that aren't clutch, right? I don't know, I don't know if I've seen a worse NBA team at inbounds plays. Every inbounds play where they are up against it from a clock standpoint is a train wreck for this team. And, you know, Chris Middleton, my number one punching bag, because it's too easy. 0 for 9 from 3. Like, just an incredibly horrific playoff game at home this time. It was one thing when we were mocking him for being sort of an also-ran type player that couldn't play on the road. The guy can't make a shot at home now? That's big-time trouble. Now, for all of that, game 2 line, still the same. Doesn't change. In fact, opens, uh, in fact it opens at minus 7.5. And we saw game one open at minus seven and get bet up to minus eight and a half, right? And so, you know, does this go up to eight and a half this time around? Probably not. But again, another example of, okay, this game happened, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't change anything. Doesn't change anything from a point spread standpoint, minus seven and a half. And so if you liked Milwaukee at minus seven, minus seven and a half in game one, you know, I don't know that you necessarily love them in game two, but... You know, is Trey Young going to have that game? Can, unless we say this all the time, can the Bucks make adjustments? Funny thing here is, you know, the minus 220 series price right now adjusted on Milwaukee. All right. And it's still not nearly as good as our plus 260 Eastern Conference bet, which, you know, is obvious. But it it's telling on what it might take for the Bucks to go to plus one, you know, plus 100 or better. Right, a plus money series bet probably would get there with a second loss at home, of course. But when you see these prices get popped up here, in, you know, before the series start, right? And you go, okay, bucks like minus five hundred, and people like me and Sheldon, they tell you, 
yeah, like that's, you know, I don't know if it's fair necessarily, but I'm certainly not betting the Hawks. It's really more just like, okay, so I'm never going to be allowed to bet the Bucks, right? I'm, it's never going to be a, a smart move to bet the Bucks at minus, you know, whether it's minus 500 or minus 220 down or, you know, down one nothing or, you know, what it could possibly be when if the Hawks win game two, right? And if the Bucks win game two, it's going to shoot right back up close to minus 500, even though they don't have home court advantage, right? Like the series price is the starting point for the rest of the series. Same thing with Montreal and Vegas, right? Like the series price starts everything else. So everything else becomes valuable the rest of the way. And sometimes, and we talked about like, okay, it's valuable, but you know, what's the probability, right? At 16 to one after game one, the minus one and a half needed Montreal to win four of the next five games. Well, you know, that's great value, but what's the probability of that actually happening? Obviously, you know, it wasn't 16 to one, but it still wasn't all that likely, right? We were, that was a bet that you would have to make knowing that you were probably going to lose it. So it's the same thing here, but on, you know, on the reverse side of things where it's like, okay, we could never bet Milwaukee. It's just, do we want to bet Atlanta? And even after game one, like we saw Atlanta lose the first game, we have se- or win the first game on the road. We have seen the Bucks lose the first game, not at home necessarily, Um so I don't, you know, I don't know that fundamentally if there's any, there's ever going to be any bet here on the series price. I mean, maybe it's Atlanta, but again, I rather just stick with my Eastern Conference ticket, which has kind of been the strategy the whole way. Um, as for Sunday, you know, that game, game two, obviously on for Friday. As for Sunday, I'll be looking to bet the Hawks if we can get anything on the plus side on the money line because the point spread is going to be, you know even right pick them minus one whatever but if we can get plus money on a team that i think is more clutch which is literally any basketball team maybe ever with than the milwaukee bucks i'm willing to do that and so uh you know fundamentally that doesn't mean anything as far as okay well we should bet the hawks on the series because they'll be up two to one or whatever just pure value talk you know and so could the bucks blow out the hawks at some point on the road, you know, quite possibly, quite possibly. Um, As for Phoenix and the Clippers, and we talked about this at length yesterday, and it looks like, you know, Chris Paul's telling people he is planning to play, so he's in, and as we talked about yesterday, right, the line doesn't move, so there you go, right? They are starting from a point, as we talked about yesterday, the bookmakers the bookmakers are starting from a point where Chris Paul is playing and then they are adjusting off of that because they don't want free value on Phoenix. So they could have started at the more appropriate price without him, which was again, Clippers minus two and a half minus three, something along those lines, but they didn't want to do that because they didn't want to give out the sort of the free couple of points on Phoenix with the possibility of Paul returning. And so, you know, in some cases that's inside information and all of that sort of thing. And that's, you know, sportsbook's job is to know that stuff before you do. And they have that line um, of information. Um, so game three is a pass for me on, on this pick'em sort of concept. I mean, again, we're not getting value. We didn't, you know, if, if it, was, it was one thing if we had gotten on a plus two and a half or if that was even available. So really the only option here is betting the Clippers in game three. But I don't want to bet the Clippers on game three because Chris Paul is coming back. And I really like the Phoenix Suns when Chris Paul is on the team, right? When he is playing. Now, how many minutes are they going to get out of him? Like, what was his true situation there with regards to COVID? You know, we don't know. 
That being said, you know, I wrote down, like, if the Clippers win, I'll be on Phoenix on Saturday. But I'm probably going to be on Phoenix no matter what, right? If it's a 3 nothing series, we will know that Phoenix is the much better team than the Clippers. And, you know, as much as we've said, oh, the Clippers come back from 2-0 down all the time, blah, blah, blah. Like, this will have, you know, we will have seen a different story here um, when it comes to this situation. And if the Clippers win, right, I will presume that's the standard NBA, um, you know, bounce back of being down 0-2 headed home. But again, a game under Chris Paul's belt, if you will, I'll be backing the Suns in game four, no matter what. Um, You know, again, I think the line's probably going to be the same as we see from game to game here. And maybe if it's minus two, minus three for Phoenix because they won this previous game, I'm okay with that as well. All right, enough of that. Time to talk some soccer. All right, let's bring in our guy here. It's little Thursday with Ted because... Strangely enough, we don't make the Euro 2020 tool, so we couldn't have it fit nicely, um, you know, the days off fitting nicely on a Tuesday. So here we are on a Thursday, fired up for the weekend. Um, yesterday's games, Wednesday's games, absolutely off the chain, they say in the soccer circles, I'm pretty sure. Um, before we get kind of get looking forward to the knockout stage, obviously a lot of were decided by the craziness that happened yesterday so teddy boy uh, first and foremost how are you but secondly um how how did you handle all that action all that soccer action all the goals yesterday i am am okay and you know what thank god we didn't do a tuesdays ted because my tuesday and wednesday suggestions would have led the entire world astray it would have been a terrible situation so thank god we skipped it never happened we move along and yes lots of goals lots of action but this is my complaint about stupid soccer and by the way i love soccer i apologize for taking your name in vain but listen, it's not just this tournament. It's just a soccer tradition in general that kind of, whether it's the last day of a group stage thing or whether it's the the final day of a regular season, everyone plays at the same time to make it all nice and fair and even for everyone. And that's got to bleep off, right? Because these are the games I want to watch the most and I kind of have to pick and choose one or the other because they're both on at the same time. And you got to get out of here with that eventually. And we sit here in a world where, you know, one team usually has $8 billion and the other team has three nickels. The fairness thing has been out the window for a long friggin' time. Let's separate these important games and let us all enjoy them all. That is my major rant until we get to VAR. Well, okay. Uh, I can't I can't necessarily complain with any of that. But for those of us who are bored to tears by one soccer game and kind of <laughs> have to have something else going on, two soccer games is ideal. <clears throat> like I've got two different, I've, you know, I've got two screens going and, uh, and I'm still able to work and pay attention to soccer games. And relatively high scoring chaotic soccer games where you got one just handing out, <clears throat> excuse me, handing out P- uh, PKs like they're going out of style. Oh, God, that guy yeah. was mayhem. In Germany and like all of the action was happening at the same time. And even so, it was still very, very doable to watch both and still kind of just be on my phone tweeting circularly about, uh, <laughs> I think I tweeted something along the lines of, we've hit the point in the program where I ask how you people do this. As you know, because they're just giving away these penalties for just some of the most like 
ridiculous reasons. Like, oh, dude, can we remote on, scoring opportunity? Uh, the, 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 complaining about VAR is old and it's cliched at this point, but this is my thing, right? Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not going to say it's bad because it may be the best of, um, you know, bad options, right? Like, I think we've all agreed mm. that we can't let necessarily leave these decisions in the hands of people because people are stupid and they'll mess this up this is all sports not just soccer when it comes to like referees but it's just so many things that you see especially when you slow it down a like say that 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 penalty where mbappe got fouled listen and it's like you have the saying not the penalty and then you know obviously the referee was a very quick check and it's like okay well and people wonder why do soccer players dive okay well case in point right there because it's rewarded with the most important thing that can happen and i'm not even necessarily calling that a dive but it's like if we're going to have a subjective call on the field and go to video replay in which a second subjective call is made you know let's get that out of here right i do understand the black and whites of maybe a handball or obviously an offside but when it's, you know, subject to the interpretation of a rule, then maybe we don't need to look at it twice. Cause... Yeah, and <clears throat> that was 100% the referee made that call, right? Like, that wasn't the, you know, the VAR, oh, like, this guy is a toenail offside or whatever, though that happened as well, I feel like. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like, whatever, you know, uh, handballs are what they are. You know, these guys diving around, you know, is what it is. One thing on the diving here before we get into these games, uh, it occurred to me today, does the writhing around is, you know, in, in hockey, we would say you're showing up the, the referee, right? And figure out that you're a diver, they're not going to call anything, and they're going to take personal offense to it. Does the writhing, writhing around, is that kind of for the referee, like to help them or to off of them like i know you know like because the call gets made right the whistle gets blown and you know like we know that it's going to be a not even just a penalty you know a free kick or whatever and like ronaldo's doing like roll arounds all over the ground but like part of that isn't that just to sort of let the referee like off the hook in in a weird way never thought of or you know there's I think there's moving parts to the to the kind of theater that goes along with some of these fouls and in the no calls and stuff like that. And I think a lot of it is equivalent to, uh, you know, in the NBA where, say, you know, whoever it may be, uh, you know, back in the day, Dwayne Wade wouldn't get a call. And he was notorious for not going back on defense because he wanted to sit and chat with the referee all the way back up the court uh, while the other team had the ball after he thought he was fouled, which he did. Right. You know on every single possession and the, the rolling around is kind of a passive campaign to the referee for keep an eye out for this next time. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to the over in chatting with them, it's, it's, it is a little bit of saving face. I went down, I look like a goof. Now I got to kind of commit to it for a little tiny bit. Cause if I get right back up, I also look like an asshole. So they go, which, which asshole do you want to be? Do you want to be the obviously <laughs> asshole or the, you know, you know, maybe he's hurt asshole. So and, and yeah. at the end of the day, it's kind of an asshole move regardless, but yes, it's just kind of letting the ref know this is happening. Sometimes it's hoping that the other team will play that out of bounds, but I do think a lot of it just is the theater and it's like very professional wrestling. You go down, you want the, you kind of got to sell it. Cause if you bounce right back up the next time you go down, you're probably not going to get the benefit of the doubt. So yeah. it's, it's all stupid just so you know uh-huh. like we're justifying for justifying steak but it yeah. is still all silly but it's also very cultural right like i grew up playing and for us canadian guys that just like to hoof the ball all around all over the field because you know now we got you know, there's no blue line or red line anymore so let's really have at it until we figure out this other offside thing but 
we would never do that. It's just not how we we played any sports, right? But right. then guys come in when you get a little older. And I grew up in a community that was relatively multicultural with with um, Serbians, Croatians, and Greeks all in there. And they come and start playing with us. And the high level, these kids are 12, 13, and they are getting hit on the ankle. And it's just, it's a scream. It's a hold the ankle before you hit the ground. And it's just all stuff we would just run through, right? Not the one person's tougher than the other because no one's hurt in this situation, but they right. are just hot and good at selling it. And quite frankly, we go back to that Mbappe penalty and there's a reason why. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I was the referee, I would just, like, I would actually want the guy after I made the call, right? And I'm saying like after I've made the call on a free kick, like I would want that guy to writhe around because if he got up as soon as I blew the whistle and like scampered back to his position, I would be like, "Oh, so you just totally oh, played for me. sure." And, I, and I know he's rolling saying. around. It's like, "Oh, okay." Like yeah. if you played me, like you did a really sort of exten extenuating, you know, job of it. And that and that goes both ways because yeah, it yeah. does it does save face for the referee a little tiny bit. Um, and again, when you don't get the call. Or, or when you do, if you pop right back up and all of a sudden you're fine, then you make everyone look like a dick. And we got multiple assholes running around on the field, which is the last thing you want. So, yeah, well, that's kind of the nature of it. And honestly, <laughs> the thing you have to chalk it up to as much as anything, as much as we hate it, hate it over here and Canada side, state side, it's just part of the game. It's just kind of yeah. just like I, people can watch hockey and be like, why do they always hit each other, you know, half a second after they get rid of the puck? It doesn't do anything productive, but it's just, you know what? It's what they do, and it's what they're always going to do. So shut up. Yeah, it took it. me <laughs> yeah, it took me 30-plus years to get over the diving. Um, I just sort of thought about the, the, stra the sort of the, the consideration from the writhing around. But the penalties, uh, you know, where it's just not remotely a chance um, that was going to turn into a goal, um, get, me, uh, get me worked up. Or at least it did today because, you know, they didn't necessarily go my way. Uh, let's talk round of 16 here, pal. Let's get into it. Um, let's do it. Let's look at some games. Uh, Okay, so what I'm going to do, we're going to go game by game. I'm going to tell you what I would bet based on my limited knowledge and my little limited experience of this tournament so far, though I've watched the vast majority of the games. Not that that really means all that much. And then you're going to tell me why that's a bad, that's, why that's a bad move. And maybe you've got another, maybe you got another option for me, something along those lines. I think you could be kind of good at this, though, right? Because the way it's breaking down, well, we have 16 teams instead of the 30-some-odd in the NFL. Like, you, you really, you go through just a few games each. So you, you can only learn as much as you learn. But it kind of separates into a small little group of elites, a couple of OKs, and then a whole bunch of meh. So, yeah, it's like, like you have a couple pinpoints you can really kind of go at. But even when it's a one game knockout stage thing, goodness gracious. So you even see in the group stage, anything can happen out here. So let's have it. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you just uh, described my entire dating career at that point. <laughs> um, OK, uh, we start off on we start off on Saturday, uh, Denmark and Wales here. Um I, listen, uh, I think they finished top four in expected goals. Uh, they got in sort of at the last minute, right? When, and we were all over it as far as them knocking off Russia and really working Russia over. You know, nobody really liked this Wales team. All of a sudden, they find themselves qualified into this round. But I like Denmark here. They were team. Now it's, you know, starting to bump up to minus 125. So looks like people are on to this the same way that I am. Um, what do you think about this matchup? Uh, you know, the, the other thing is like the three options here, right? Like it's one thing when it's um, group play, right? Where a draw is a draw. The three options here obviously win, win or draw. 
you know, then there's still like the matter of who's going to advance via, you know, extra time and penalty kicks and all of that sort of thing here. So, you know, if it's something as close as, yeah, I mean, Denmark, sure, but maybe you want to look towards the draw or something like that. Feel free to mention it. But, you know, for a price here at minus 125, you know, I like these Danes. Yeah, and I would say, you know, goodness, Wales, they they looked almost like a different team every 10 minutes out there, right? It's really tough to get a grasp on what they're doing, whereas Denmark, you really kind of feel like, you know, that Russian slaughter aside, the whole tournament, they kind of found a groove, that organization we talked about last week where... um, There's a calamity outside, apparently. (laughs) No, like, like I, I feel like Denmark's ceiling is higher than Wales is in Denmark's basement is significantly higher than Wales. I think you're about right. Honestly, I, I think plus 400 for Wales. I think, I think they're not getting enough credit right there. I think that's a, hmm. that's a fairly sizable dog a, against one of the handful of teams that they could possibly beat. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I, no, I still it. like Denmark in this game. Uh, just because they've just looked rock solid, despite obviously losing their best player, which everyone in the world has talked about. But yeah, Denmark at minus 125, that's the number I like the best. I, I, I hate betting draws. In these ones, it becomes trickier, right? Because you can go into extra time, and that's going to happen. Um, so the draw becomes a little tastier because, you know, you're not going to just finish with one point that could screw you. You're going to keep playing. Right. So the draw is going to be in playing. Right? Exactly. The draw is going to be playable in almost all of these games. I don't hate playing a draw, but mm. in this one, I think Denmark outright over, you know, one of the couple weakest teams that's moved along. Uh, I think minus 125 is the right play. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they're certainly one of the bigger favorites, as sort of weird as that sort of set, you know, it feels like when you're talking about minus 125 on a money line, given, you know, we're used to hockey and you know, baseball and all of that sort of thing. Um, okay, <laughs> Italy. Um, and listen, when I, when I have a commitment, right, speaking, speaking of my dating life, um, when I have a commitment, uh, I, in this case, right, I have Italy futures at eight to one to win this tournament. So it is in my best interest for Italy to advance. So, you know, I don't know that I'm going to pile in here necessarily on minus 200 on a full-time result or anything like that. So, you know, knowing that I'm leaning to Italy or I'm going to be cheering for Italy, even if I don't make a bet, but I've sort of made this promise that we got to bet something on each individual game. Um, You know, how do you feel about Italy in this tournament? Like we've talked about it, like, they haven't. They certainly haven't disappointed us. Is there a, yeah, is well, there a possibility that minus two hundred is actually a pretty good price? I like what you're talking about the relationship, by the way, and how you're basically confessing that when you're in a committed relationship, you just continue to pour extra money into it to justify the commitment. I do like that, but um, minus two hundred is a decent number. Um, th- this is one of the few ones where one team should roll. Um, uh, let me go down and check. I don't mind the under on this because. Uh, it's minus 150, which isn't particularly great, mm. but I, I do think that Italy's first two three nothing games that's going to be those are going to be their big offensive numbers, and the defenses are kind of going to adjust what they're doing, as you saw in that last game. So I don't mind an under on this. Italy at minus 200 is okay too, but we like this Austria team. They they look good, right? They did look mm. good. But yeah, no, I'm with you. When we get to the 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 outrights later on, um, you'll see that the line has moved a little on Italy, and I think we got we got in on Italy at a good time at the beginning. Uh, I think Italy rolls. Uh, I think they get through this. I think they get through regulation. So touch up that minus 200 if you want to, or go for that under is what I'll probably do. But 
this is also one that if, if you're scared of going for an under on the team that won three, nothing, you know, hit that over or, you know, stay away from that one. Yeah. As much as we hit those overs early on, right? Like we did them on just the strength of Italy scoring, which, you know, you'd like somebody else to contribute, <laughs> like, like both teams to score. Um, if that's the case, speaking of like both teams to score, you know, you've obviously mentioned you like the under. So if we, you know, we're got, say we're at minus 200, we got a minus 150 under, you know, two and a half, right? We're, we're, we're drinking a lot of juice here. Plus money-wise, something like a clean sheet or on the you know, opposite end of the spectrum, maybe not for this game, but a both teams to score, like something along those lines. Is there anything a little bit spicier in here that we can do? Because, I mean, the, even the clean sheet is just, yes, is minus 125. So if we like the under, we like Italy maybe we try to take some of the juice off there with an Italy clean sheet because certainly. Yeah. But listen, I'm, I'm looking like you, everyone's going to have a similar bet on whatever they have at home. When I'm looking at the result, both teams to score. Um, I, I have an Italy at a, uh, at a no, what is that? Plus plus one twenty basically for Italy, the clean sheets. Is that what I'm seeing? Uh, to, for Italy to clean sheet, Austria is yeah. yes is minus one twenty five. Minus one twenty five, And that's still a good number. And honestly, yeah. if you're looking for value somewhere in, and I don't know if minus 25 necessarily counts as spicy, it's a, it's a, it's a medium wing at best, but that's going to be better value than that minus 200. Um, and uh, I honestly think for that minus 200 to come through, it's probably going to be a clean sheet anyway, right? Austria score is good on them, but Italy doesn't look like they're giving up too many goals so far. Well, that's what I mean, right? Because if Austria scores, then, you know, to have Italy win in regulation at minus 200, you're going to now need two goals from Italy, which means you're going to need the over. So I'm just trying to reduce the juice here as best as we possibly can. And yeah, like spicy wasn't the right word. I thought it would be plus money, actually, when I said that. But it turns out that, um, you, you know, if you, ha- if you have three straight shutouts and you haven't given up a goal in like a million games, apparently, that Italy has, uh, yeah, the clean sheet's still going to be minus 125. No doubt. All right. Sunday's games. Uh, let me ask you this, Belgium and Portugal. I want to, I want to, I want to get into this one. How is this not going to be four to three? Between these two teams? <laughs> and I'll why, tell you what, like it's two and a half right now. And the first move was to the under, it's actually even money for the over two and a half. Like that's the first thing that I wrote down. I know I realized I skipped Netherlands and the Czech Republic, but like, I kind of want to make this bet before people realize that Belgium and Portugal are just firing goals in. Like it's uh, nobody's business. I don't hate that either. And I'll probably do it as well. But uh, like soccer has been taking people on betting overs for about 400 years. So like it's any game, like we talked about, like chances don't necessarily equal goals. Although Portugal's just been involved in a lot of goals so far. I do like that over also, especially at plus, like that's what it is. I'm seeing plus 100 for the over. Yeah. Like all of a sudden you make that, you know, a minus 150 or something like that. Minus 125. I don't like it so much. A plus 100. I think there's your bet because both of these teams have shown that, they're out there trying to fill it up. And if you end up watching a 90 minute game and there's about 25 chances going both ways and they end up only scoring two goals, then you know what? You just applaud the goalies or the goalposts or whomever. And you hope you get enjoyment out of the game. I do like that. This Portuguese team can't catch a break on their draw whatsoever. And they've been a ton of fun to watch. Um, like whether they are plus 200 in this game, Belgium sitting there a plus 130, it draws at 240. This is one where you can start taking a look at that draw just because it's tough to talk yourself into like one or the other. Like 
right. Portugal's out there and they just played pretty much toe to toe with a couple world class teams and Belgium is just chugging right along with them. So I definitely don't see maybe a four, two again, but you know, two, two, three, two, two, one. Uh, I think there's going to be goals. I think you're right. Personally, I'd either play on Portugal and give me a second just to look at what their bet no draw is or their draw no bet because that's probably the direction I'd go. Yeah, Portugal plus 110 right there. I don't mind. Um, and then, of course, that over. But then again, for people thinking the other side, this is going to be one of the few chances you're going to get to you're going to get to bet Belgium outright at plus 130. I just think this Portugal team is proving to be a tough out. Yeah. And so, I mean, maybe we split a unit on both, right? You do an even money on the over two and a half and you bet the draw and maybe you hope to get lucky and get a two, two result there. Uh, And then if just one of the two things happens, right. And it's a one, one game and we don't get that second goal. You still ended up right. Getting the draw a little bit of money on that. So that might be the the better way to kind of play around with that. Um, I hate this, how this draw shook out. I know I haven't mentioned that. Can I also quickly Um, Rusty, just, just while I'm looking quickly while we're at it, we also have an anytime goal for uh, Lukaku or Cristiano Ronaldo at plus 120 and plus 150 respectively. If, if you want to lay off the game, cause you don't know what's going to happen and you want to, you know, go along with a, with your over, then mm-hmm. both of those guys getting a goal, you know, sounds about as likely as anything the way this tournament's going. So that's something you can look at too. Okay. No, that's a good call. Yeah. I mean, and with, when it comes to this game, right, this is the first, um, you know, fork in the road of my futures because I've got Portugal to get to the semis but I also have Belgium to score the most goals in the tournament and so the good news is one of those two things is at least going to advance into the quarterfinals and you know give me something bad news is I didn't really think we were going to get Portugal and Belgium though I kind of probably should have known that Belgium was going to be up against it against one of those teams from group F meanwhile by the way Cristiano Ronaldo Five goals so far. We have him at 13 to one to have the most goals in the tournament as well. So maybe that ends up being the tiebreaker as far as who is who I cheer for. But when we come to draw, right, like I don't have to commit to a team. So I like that part. Same thing with the over. If guys are scoring goals, I'll be happy with that. Um, You know, we go back to that goal conversation. Sometimes the world's just simple, right? You look at it and be like, oh, so there's one guy here who has the most goals ever of anything of all time. (laughs) You know what? 13 to one. Let's do it. Take a fly. Yeah, I, I, and that's, you know, it's funny because we do the same thing with golf or, or, or whatever, right? Where it's like, you know, you can live bet John Rom at plus 400 after a couple of rounds and you go, well, yeah, but it's not plus 900. And it's like, since when did we not like plus 400 payouts? It's true, right? right? And it's, it's the same it's, sort of deal, like Ronaldo, 13 to 1. It's like, well, that's too easy. Or... Or he shoots all the penalties and he just basically yells at his team for not passing to him in the box all game. Like he's going to get all of the opportunities that are. It's so it's so so weird because it's like a conversation about relativity with like money and how you spend it. Right. Like if I go to the pub and I end up spending whatever, fifty five, sixty dollars at the pub after some food and a few drinks. It's like, okay, that's the cost of doing business. But if I went to McDonald's and spent fifty five, sixty dollars, that would be ludicrous but at the same time it's all just kind of money on food right and it's just you kind of have to step away from it look at it in a vacuum and then decide you know what plus 400 you know say this was a blue jay game i take it all day long yeah 
Okay. Um, so, yeah, we're hoping for Ronaldo. I mean, I, I think what happens here is Belgium probably advances. Ronaldo gets stuck on five goals. Maybe he gets a sixth, and maybe that carries the day for him. That would be outstanding. You know what? Five uh, can we'll even see. carry it. Five's not a bad number. If somebody, if someone gets early in the clubhouse with five, they're looking yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I was thrilled. to. to that was the literally only good thing that happened um, on Wednesday for my soccer bets. All right, Monday's action. Uh, Croatia and Spain. And so you ready for this one? Here we go. Um, okay, Spain won five to nothing. It involved a guy volley, uh, volleyball spiking a, a ball into his own net. Hell of that, a spike. Uh, oh my that, God, the set was way too high. Honest <laughs> to God. That I would say um, opened the floodgates. I don't know that it's five to nothing if we go into uh, stoppage time in the first half scoreless. I don't know if there's a second goal in the first half. And I th- certainly don't think we go five nothing in that game. So what's your... T- Spain here now Croatia sort of saved themselves in that last game by being able to advance here but I'm looking whether it's plus 450 or the double chance at plus you know 110 or you know the draw no bet or the qualify there's a bunch of different sort of plus money ways to play Croatia talk me out of playing Croatia a team that I've already again commitment I've already made a commitment to with a couple of bucks <laughs> on them to make right. semis uh, listen in, in Croatia Croatia hasn't looked um, as good as I thought they would look. Obviously, I was—I I don't know if I'd say I was high on them, but I really thought they'd be somewhat impressive, and they've been, you know, in that big group of meh so far. Uh, but they seem to be kind of, I don't want to say finding their stride in such a small sample size of games, but like Denmark, there's kind of a, there's kind of a basement they have that is only so low. And this Spanish team, so you got the Spanish team full of young superstars against this super experienced Croatian team and this young superstar Spain team, you know, um, wasn't able to actually score against, you know, a couple Joe Blow type opponents, if you know what I mean. So Mm -hmm. you are right. Lock in Croatia right now. Go with an outright. If you want to take a big swing at that 450, the um, Grano bet is always a tempting alternative, which I always like to jump on. That one's sitting at plus 275. Um, I don't see the double chance in front of me right now. That's something else to take a look at that I know you like. But yeah, no, by all means, I think this is one where today's 5-0 Spain was not an indicator of much. And I think this Croatian team... Like, don't get me wrong, Spain's better than Croatia, but again, minus one fifty to plus four fifty in this particular matchup with how Spain has looked so far, take Croatia all day. Yeah, and plus two forty to qualify too, if you know it gets into that situation where and listen, Croatia's played these low scoring, kind of grimy games because they don't have a lot of offensive punch. Yeah, we get ourselves scoreless, you know. Get a little this is the old, this is the old Memphis Grizzlies grindhouse of a game. No, you're right. right. I, I think it could come down to that. And it's this the Spanish team that looks like they have an element of I hate to use the word panic because obviously that's not the right word, but for lack of a better word, I'll say panic that goes along with their urgency when they can't score and it doesn't look helpful. And this Croatian team is a team, again, tons of veterans, basically the same team that was in that semifinal in the last World Cup. So at plus four fifty, okay. I like I think this looks pretty tasty. Okay, well, I'm going to have a little cowardice. I'm going to go double chance, plus 110, and I'm going to go to qualify at plus 240. If they win outright and the plus 450 cashes, that's outstanding. That means I will have won both those bets anyway, and so I will not be complaining. Uh, Late game, quote-unquote, on Monday, France 
and Switzerland. Uh, this was tough for me because, I mean, I don't have any commitment to France. So in, you know, in an <laughs> ideal world, I would want France to bow out. Um, I don't necessarily know that that's the case. Um, but what I've seen from France is, uh, obviously with Mbappe, like an insane counter uh, team, right? Where they just bomb it down to Mbappe and he just runs like five times faster than any human being should, should run, or, or so it seems. Um, Not I, pretty I, to watch. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because it is sort of just like Hail Mary on every play. Like you're playing, you know, Madden 95 or something like that. So, you know, I, I kind of want to play the double chance on Switzerland here. Um, because to me, France seems like a basketball team that doesn't have great half court offense and sometimes just fires off a three at the end of the shot clock. You know, what do you think of that as a guy who's literally watched, you know, two to three games? Um, (laughs) I would say the problem is in the, in the, in the reason I'm probably going to go France at a plus or sorry, I should say minus 175 in this game. It's just that I think all of the things you were saying are right, but I don't think it's indicative of who France is. I think we've been seeing their basement and I think they just came out winning a group that also had Germany and Portugal. So (laughs) I, I think, I think France beat Switzerland um, and I, I don't even know if they'll find a gear, right? They're a team that can get into a semifinal without even getting into their fourth or fifth gear. But I think, I think France takes it. I think minus 175 is a decent number. Switzerland's look good. Um, there's uh, nothing bad against Switzerland, right? Just tough draw mm-hmm. for them. And yeah. I think, I think France personally, I think they, they cruise by Switzerland and minus 175 isn't that bad of a number for that. Is there a reason to do a clean sheet or anything like that? Or, or just from a total standpoint, without looking at like the juice, two and a half, which, you know, would you pick one side or the other? Um, you know, the one I like in this one, like it's, I don't know, it's tough to say. It's, I, I think the over, it's, it's plus 110, right? Yep. Plus 110 on the over, I think is the play over that, min- that minus 138. It's, it's, yeah, there's something a little tricky about that. But I think that looks okay. I don't mind playing. If you're going to play both teams going to score, then you might as well go with that over. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's, um, God, it's tough to say. I honestly can see this being just a one nothing France cruise, cruise job. I don't think I'm going to touch a total on this one. Um, it might even be a, a do not bet, which we just talked about before we went on, how I'm not good at uh, committing to the do not bets, and I should get better. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Fair. both teams score plus 120, over plus 110. I think you might as well go with the over if you're going to think about those two things. And hey, get tricky if you want to, because like we say, it, there's no reason to think France is going to find the groove i just like france at minus 175 over switzerland that's probably going to be my play if you had to pick between mbappe benzema and griezmann which guy to score a goal mbappe their offense seems to really be geared around him yeah. like the the other two dudes are kind of peripherally around in getting opportunities but they are trying to create opportunities for mbappe so i i like that so one more thing on this game, and then we'll move on to the next thing. So, I mean, Benzema kicks the uh, penalties, as we said yeah. today. Uh, Mbappe is the sort of counterattack absolute beast. Is there something about Switzerland that lends themselves to be vulnerable to, uh, to either taking a penalty or allowing counterattack, right? Because it felt like that France-Germany game was, hey, Germany, pass the ball around all you want. We're going to bring Griezmann back to play a lot of defensive you know, football, and then we're going to just spring Mbappe. Now, Switzerland, obviously not as good as Germany, like doesn't feel like they would have the possession the same way that Germany would. 
And so, you know, maybe Mbappe is not as good because there isn't that counter element. Or, again, I'm just overreading a couple of games here. Um, um, is there anything from those that, you know, from that sort of two strategies? Well, France doesn't love to play that that really upfront, like for like front third possession game that much. They're going to try to create opportunities to counter a little tiny bit, right? Because that's yeah. so Switzerland's going to have the ball more than you probably think they will. Um, and I, I don't think they're going to have too many problems getting Mbappe opportunities because, like, we we watch the way they're doing it, where they're trying to kind of spring him, but that's mm-hmm. he has more in his bag than that. Right. Okay. Like it, w- with the ball, he's a menace. Without the ball, he's a menace. And that's where it's tough. I see what you're saying with Benzema, right? Because Mbappe, you know, you watch how it goes sometimes and you're just as likely to create a penalty as you are to get the goal. Now, if he's not taking the penalty, it makes things interesting. But I just look at the amount of opportunities and chances these guys have had. And I like, I think Mbappe, it could say, because it's, I'm seeing plus 137 for Benzema to score anytime and Mbappe at plus 120 and basically the same difference if if you want to bet on them getting the first goal so if it with just that minor difference between them i think mbappe is the play okay maybe that's what i do then because yeah i mean like listen i don't know that i want to lay i guess the minus 175 actually isn't that bad of a price like it's not awful right especially for one where i think they should be like a minus 220 or so but so so that's why i'm gonna touch on that but i don't i don't mind where you're going though right because that's like Minus 175 to the plus 120, that's a big difference. So, and, and I think Mbappe is, you know, as likely to get a goal as I think it is for France to roll. So if you want to do that, by all means. Yeah, maybe that ends up just being what I do. Um, all right, then. Um, next up, your guys. The um, English. Exciting brand of, uh, of football here so far. Unders, unders, unders. 3-0 to the under here. And they get Germany because, God forbid, they just draw and, <laughs> and get a pass that includes, you know, the Czech Republic and Denmark and Wales. No, no, no. No, no. Let's get Germany in the next yeah. year. And if it wasn't Germany, it was going to be Portugal. And if it wasn't Portugal, it was going to be France. Um, so, I mean, okay, like you mentioned it when it came to Belgium. Like, this is like your only chance in life to get Belgium at plus, you know, whatever – isn't this kind of your only chance in life to get Germany plus 190? Or, you know, was that draw with Hungary and the loss to France? Like, are we overrating Germany? Is Germany maybe not that good? Because certainly when that game's one to nothing for a really long time against Hungary, it didn't look like Germany was very good. So, you know, what am I supposed to believe here? Hey, listen, I, I, I'm going to look around at all these numbers and goodness, it's tough to talk anyone out of anything. Sometimes I do think we are overrating Germany. I don't think Germany has looked that good yet. And Hey, at the same time, like England, I talk about how France has been playing at their basement and cruising. England seems like they've kind of been doing the same thing. Um, but it doesn't, I, I think this might just be their gear, right? Like it's, mm. They, they just, they haven't really created any kind of, you know, when you talk about you're out there, you're watching France and they're trying to spring Mbappe, right? You're watching Spain and they're trying to pass it around 87,000 million times until they can crawl the ball into the net. You see what they're trying to do. It's tough to figure out what England's even doing out there. Their cohesion just isn't clicking into imagine it coming together is tough. Um, but Germany has been a bit of a mess, right? Yeah. Like really the opposite of what we expect from Germany. So, yeah, if you're like, oh, Germany's out there at about plus 190, that's better than I'm ever going to get them in a game before. It, like, Then, yeah, I like that. I think England plus 155 is one of the worst bets out there, unfortunately. I look down, 
and just looking at the amount of goals going on in Germany games, and I see it's a plus 150 for the over, and alarms start to go off as to kind of why. Like, obviously, England hasn't been scoring a lot, and they're hitting unders-unders. But plus 150 for a team like Germany that's basically giving up two goals a game, um, it's tough to not look at that and really salivate a little bit, which usually ends up leading me down a terrible path. But I just think Germany's defense is so leaky, and England – even though they haven't looked great offensively, have so many great players. So there's a few things out here to definitely look at. I, unfortunately, am just not a fan of the outright bet on England, even though I do think Germany has been a little overrated. Yeah, so that's interesting that you mentioned the over there because obviously England has gone 3-0 to the under and it's sort of this relatively like publicized thing to just bet all you know England under, England under every single time. And so, you know, I'm just kind of looking at this going, all right, well, if it's, if it's such a guarantee, right, at the under is minus 188. Um, if it's such a guarantee that this game is going to be an under, why wouldn't I take, like, the draw? Because if it's going to be this really low-scoring game, right, like obviously 1-1 one, one, and 0-0 zero, zero are half of the options there when it comes to, you know, that probable under, according to the marketplace. But if you're thinking that because it's plus 150 and Germany has a leaky defense, which isn't like, isn't really something I don't think we think of ever when it comes to Germany. You could maybe um, correct me if I'm wrong, but okay. Traditionally, no. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, all right. Okay. Um, Both teams to score is plus 10. That's kind of interesting too. Yeah, there's value out there on people getting goals, and I think there's going to be goals. I don't mind your draw play either, um, but part of me, you know, that's part of my fandom that comes in, and, you know, just English, England's going to just end up in penalties at some point. So, and and I don't mean that from an actual betting list, but for value standpoint, but it just has to, right? It's it's going to happen. That was going to be the second part to that statement because I'm like, if it's, you know, if everybody thinks this is going under, the, you know, win probability of an under at minus 188. And like history shows us that this is going to be as devastating of a loss as possible, given the circumstances, then yeah, like the draw does kind of look pretty interesting from that standpoint. I'm going to have to think about this one. Either um, way, this is one. It's kind of one, like I say, alarm bells. Cause I think there's a few, I think the draw looks okay. I think Germany's number looks okay. And uh, I think that over looks really good. And then I just start to get worried. I'm like, why does it look like there's so much free money out here? What's yeah. going on? So, but anyway, yeah, honestly, though, if, if like that plus 150 for an over, I'll touch it up right now. I, uh, I know England's going under, I know they've played some boring games. I just think that Germany's leaky defense is uh, more impactful than England's strong defense. Fair enough. Uh, That's a Tuesday early start. The Tuesday late start, uh, the last one of the round of 16 is Sweden and the Ukraine. Two teams that I was was way wrong about. Um, in both you know directions, right? I've got hey, Ukraine plus seven fifty semis. I've got Ukraine quarters. So like, I was just hoping that Ukraine hung on and qualified, which they barely did. And like, that actually worked out pretty okay for them getting Sweden in the next round. And if you had told me that I was going to have a chance at the Ukraine at like plus two hundred on the three way and all of the other sort of derivatives that come with that. I probably would have jumped on that just based on our conversation from before the tournament started. And up hey. until today, like Sweden hadn't actually scored in the run of play on, you know, in the first two games. 
Uh, what do you think, man? It, like, it... Listen, when we talked last week, I was higher on Ukraine, obviously I should be, because let's be honest, they got through. Who knows how? Because they have looked awful. Sweden, awful. I thought before the tournament, was absolute ash. And now, Sweden, after winning Group E, I still think they're trash. I think this yeah. game is a trashathon. And honestly, I just think Sweden's trash has been a little bit nicer than Ukraine's trash. Like Ukraine has looked like they don't know what they're doing for long stretches of games. And Sweden at least looks like they have something in mind. Defensively, they look very fine. So like, again, this, this could be your nil-nil draw if you want to take one. But mm. I think Sweden ends up winning this game. I think that value is all right. And this is all based upon the fact that Ukraine is – Ukraine is weak. <laughs> yeah. We have got to say it. Listen, Ukraine is weak. So I love the gif. I love the smashing of the wrist board on the, on the subway uh, from Seinfeld. Ab- That's my gif. Absolutely. No, yeah. So it's – hey, listen. Sweden's, Sweden's going to be my play on this. Uh, or a do not bet again, but <laughs> Ukraine has just looked really, really just certifiably repug. So I just can't do it. <laughs> and the under is minus 163. I don't like that. Uh, both teams to score is pretty much dead even. Um, literally, like the favorite to score a goal is plus 200 anytime, which is kind of funny because like all of these others have guys who are like plus 120, plus 125. And it's like, no, we got the best guy out there is plus 200. <laughs> like that's really kind of depressing. Um, so again, we'll have plenty of time over the next five or six days to kind of figure out what we want to do from that standpoint. So let's go big picture here. And so I, said I think I, we are oh, just missing one game. Oh, what did I miss? We are missing the Netherlands and Czech Republic. And I think it's fair oh, that right. we're missing it because... God bless whoever took a Netherlands getting to the semifinals because they've, they've got a peach of a draw. Now, again, these teams are all actually really good, right? Like I said out here and I call some of them trash, but these are all really good elite national teams. Um, but the Netherlands up against Czech Republic and they're going to be taking on the winner of Dales, uh, Wales, I should say Denmark after. So they've yeah. got a sweet little draw here. And uh, I don't imagine Czech Republic is another one of these teams that got through and Hey, they had very few moments where they looked somewhat reasonable. So, and the Netherlands, we were all, I shouldn't say we were all, you know, you read stuff and you say stuff and you think stuff and people weren't overly high on the Netherlands. And so far, I'll tell you what, they look pretty good. Yeah. So I, so like, is that one where, so from a game standpoint, minus 150 on the three way, like you're saying like, that's the, because I mean, Czech Republic gets that first win on that. They had a crazy, like long shot goal on Scotland, but Scotland was the better team from a, you know, expected goal standpoint in that game. And so the Czechs like put up that point, those three points, I should say. And then like, we just kind of feel like they're better than they actually were the rest of the way. Yeah. Only they exactly. didn't really do anything else. Did nothing. The rest of the way. Right. Like they drew with Croatia and you go, oh, okay to four points like they don't have to do anything against you know you know england and blah 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 and they certainly don't do anything against england um and so yeah like maybe the netherlands is just better than than anybody gave them credit for so at minus 150 maybe that's the right play 
um, for them to do something. The, the uh, total is a dead even minus 110 on either side in the uh, two and a half number. Of I hate that. I um, hate when I see that. Um, yeah, I think, I think that my, if I like France at minus 75, I definitely like Netherlands here at minus 150. Um, that over under, you know what, when it's, when it's a complete even odds, I don't even know what to tell you. I, uh, I'd probably lean towards the under in this one. Um, but okay. I think that minus 150 is a, a fairly safe play. Or at least yeah. should be. Well. Yeah, safe as safe can be. Uh, all right, big picture stuff here. So, you know, I've got Italy uh, plus 800 from our conversation. Uh, that's now plus 600. You know, I don't think that's all that surprising that that's changed. Uh, Germany, I have at plus 850. Completely terrified. That seems horrible. Lucky, well, maybe not lucky, but somewhat <laughs> fortunate to have that still be alive after uh, Wednesday's debacle. Um, you know, so all these guys, can, all these, you know, all these guys, all these teams kind of move up a little bit, right? As they, you know, qualify because there's one less step for them to kind of step in it. So, you know, maybe Netherlands is maybe I, I maybe I saved Netherlands to the end for a reason. Um, maybe they are that team that because of the path, you know, it's not fourteen to one anymore, but it's still nine to one. Maybe they are that team that you go, okay, you know what? From a bracketing standpoint. That might be something that we want to get ourselves involved in because we know, you know, Belgium, Italy, Portugal, only one team is coming out of that other side there for the semifinal. Whereas Netherlands gets this, you know, Czech Republic, Wales, Denmark situation. That seems relatively easy. Um, And France is plus 400, the favorite. So that little quadrant that they're in with Croatia, Spain and Switzerland, like that seems about right for the team that's the favorite. And then England and Germany, which, you know, like we haven't been impressed by either of those teams are sort of sitting there in that middle ground. I'm certainly not adding to Germany at this point, and I'm not playing England. So really kind of what's left is either Belgium at 8-1, and, you know, we all know sort of what Belgium's all about, but I think that's fair considering Portugal is up next and then potentially Italy. So, you know, like I don't really want to mess around with that. Am I adding Netherlands into the mix here from a futures standpoint? If you want to take more futures, I think you have to. Because say you you say you put on a blindfold and someone tells you, hey, there's one team with a significantly easier path to the final. People didn't think that much of them going into the tournament. But after watching them play and just knowing their roster, we know that basically man for man, they're as talented as anyone in the tournament. Would you take them um, at better odds and that better route than anyone else? And I think yeah. he will. I think it just makes sense. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing. It's not like they fluked their way into first place the way like Sweden did, right? Where you go, yeah, they have a good route uh, by finishing in first place. But like, you know, the eye test wasn't really that great. Like Netherlands, like they're firing goals in, like, you know, again, nobody's business. And so, yeah, I think, I think at nine to one, like that's worth a little ad ski here um, as much as we all kind of hated Netherlands. And honestly, that's kind of why I like Netherlands a little bit more because we're all wrong about this stuff. Right. And I mean, I don't mean all of us wrong as in like, we're all wrong about everything. I just mean like when we all agree about something, right. Like, Oh, Netherlands just, you know, they don't have it this year. It's like, Almost all the time, that means that that Netherlands team is going to go on a run of some kind. No, I like it. And uh, listen, I just think for all of the reasons you want to sit and talk about our past thoughts, previous thoughts, I just think this is one where it's just simple numbers. I think they're a, they're yeah. a nine to one. And, you know, uh, it, 
I would probably, if, if I was forced to, take them around probably minus you know one twenty five just to get to the semifinals. So the nine to one to win the whole thing for sure. Uh, I think I think that's your only yeah. real play here. Yeah, I mean all those numbers are sort of connected, and part of it too is right. And I mentioned my my Belgium. Portugal, you know, one team can move on and then the other team, the future kind of dies there. Maybe Ronaldo again keeps, uh, keeps the goal lead. But, you know, I got that quadrant kind of under control with Belgium, Portugal, and Italy. All some consideration. I've got uh, considerations with Croatia for as however long that lasts in that quadrant. And then I've got Germany in that quadrant. So essentially, I just need a horse here out of this quadrant to go forth with. And Denmark would be that team normally because I would look at like the expected goals and I'd be like, oh, like, you know, this is a pretty good team. But again, like the Christian Eriksen thing, um, inspiring, great, all of that sort of stuff. But like they're still without arguably their best player, which yeah. isn't good. Right? It's problematic so, regardless. And they, they'd have a tough haul with them. Right. Yeah. So yeah. It, uh, I think I think, yeah, now, if someone wants to take a big, big swing. Uh, listen, hey, the, the Croatia is 66 to one. I don't know if that should necessarily be their number, but I, I don't think that one's paying off in the end. Yeah, I'm already deep into the Croatia scene. Uh, 45 to one from before <laughs> the tournament when we talked about this last. Uh, is there anything I mean, top goal scorer, right? And the good news for us is Ronaldo has gone from 13 to one to minus 138 to win uh is there anybody in that category we've got our guy immobile who's the other guy that we bet on um at 16 to 1 he was 20 to 1 21 to 1 before the tournament started there so we kind of have lukaku and benzema surrounded obviously benzema getting some regard there because of his um you know penalty uh kick um possibilities there I mean, you know, I don't know that much about Netherlands. Memf- our, our guy Memphis, they're sitting there. With Your guy two Memphis goals. would probably be the guy, right? Like yeah. it's, I, I, I don't, I don't really love it as a play. But again, um, just from the fact that you, you kind of, you kind of have to have faith that he's going to have three more games. Yeah. Right. Absolutely if anything. Right. So yeah. he's, he's, he's. If all, if, if all the chips fall where they should, Memphis should have three more games. And uh, he's good, and he'll probably be taking penalties out there. Uh, if not getting some goals in open play, he'll at least have opportunities. Um, like Mbappe is way down at 20 to 1, and I'll tell you what, he could put up a hat trick anytime. There's not many guys on this list left that can do that. Yeah. Um, but you, you just watch the way Belgium plays, and you watch the way Portugal plays, and it just feels like kind of if those teams are scoring, Lukaku and Cristiano Ronaldo are scoring. So uh, those two guys are up top for a reason. Again, looking at our guy Chiro Mobile, if if we think they're going to be in there for the long haul, which obviously they don't have the easiest path, uh, he's not bad either because you know he could yeah. have a few games left. So you want to add something? Yeah. yeah, Memphis already two goals. He can have some games left. Again, Mobile two goals. He this, could have some games left, but it's going to be a tough haul for anyone but those top two guys. This uh, Jorginho fellow, who I'm not even going to try his last name. Jorginho Wijnaldum. Yeah, he's a Liverpool sure. dude. Well, was a Liverpool guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he, he's at three goals and 16 to one. Um, you know, are, is that a fluke? Like, you yeah, know, it's like, tough. It's, he's, he's not traditionally a goal scorer. Oh, okay. Is his thing. So all okay. these other guys out there are really scores. He's a great player and he does get goals, but he's, he's not the guy you think of pretty much on any of his teams as, as the one they are setting up opportunities for. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, I think that covers it. So you've got anything else that you found in the deep recesses of the markets there when it comes to props hey, listen, or anything like that? If anyone wants to think, if chances 
turn into goals. Uh, our guy, our poor maligned Morata on Spain, just all the opportunities in the world. And the poor guy, just he got a goal today, but was it? I think it was it yesterday on Wednesday. And yeah. uh, like, listen, uh, by all means, at forty to one, he looks like he could get as many goals as he wants <laughs> right. if we find a net. Uh, so yeah. I don't hate that. That's a big swing, but really, I think we covered all the stuff that's kind of reasonable. So uh, all the plays that we've mentioned, um, uh, I, I after my after my last few days, my confidence has been so rattled. But like <laughs> like you say, all you can do is go into your plays with solid reasoning, and there's only so many regrets you can have going to bring that up with regards to Murata because he is taking a pummeling and we actually bet him in that second game to score a goal and he did it was by far the highlight of my uh Alvaro <laughs> I believe is his first name my Alvaro Murata relationship here to uh to sum things up um as always my friend I think we've got ourselves a nice little base for the next uh four days of football that's starting on Saturday and rolling right around to Tuesday it's Thursdays with Ted and the knockout stage preview. Thanks so much for this, pal. My pleasure. Thank you to Ted for that. I think we've got a pretty good handle on the Euros, at least for Saturday and Sunday. I have to do a little bit more thinking for the back end of those uh, games of the schedule there. Um, as for Monday, you know, we're going to have Sheldon back. We're going to talk some NBA. We'll have a handful of games, obviously, games twos and threes in the NBA there. And we'll have a Stanley Cup final. At that point, a Stanley Cup final matchup. We will be either, you know, popping bottles over the weekend about the Montreal Canadiens. We'll see what actually went down on in Game 7 uh, on Friday between Tampa and the Islanders. So lots to talk about on Monday, and then we'll have a Stanley Cup final preview. I think that series probably gets going Tuesday night. I, th- You know, that sort of seems like it would make a ton of sense, uh, but you never know with the NHL, so we'll be able to get deep into the weeds when it comes to whatever matchup that we get. And isn't it cool that, you know, going into a Game 6 with already a Game 7 on the board, that we just don't know who the matchup is going to be at this point. So that's kind of fun. That's a wrap. Hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. As always, please subscribe. That's for you. Rate, review, and share the podcast. That's for me. Until Monday, I'll see you at the window.